Welcome to Connected Philanthropy. In today's episode, Dave Tinker from Goalbusters Consulting discusses the crucial role of ethics in the fundraising profession. This discussion comes from a recorded webinar that Foundant hosted, and the topics covered were the relevance of ethics in various contexts, the code of ethics used by the Association of Fundraising Professionals, and the changing landscape of technology, public trusts, and conflicts of interest. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Here's Dave. First, just want to share briefly what we're going to go over. We'll learn why ethics are important in our fundraising profession. And it's not just people working at a nonprofit in fundraising, but it's consultants, uh, it's the vendors, it's uh, the other staff within the organization applies to everybody, really. Uh, you know, you learn how the different codes of ethics apply to, you know, again, both consultants and staff members. Learn how to discuss ethics within your organization with your donors and others. Uh, but, you know, and then we'll go over the number one question that's related to ethics that's always asked. Uh, and it's not, ju- it's not just any one field or profession or association where it's asked. It seems to be every nonprofit and whatever your role is at your nonprofit, it's, everyone seems to have the same question that it gets asked most often. Something I'm fond of saying is just because it's legal doesn't mean it's ethical. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, and just because, you know, legality might be one thing, uh, but ethics are, you know, something that makes us a profession. So that's important to remember. So one of the one of the groups that uh, wanted to share uh, that has the main code of ethics, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, or AFP, um, to my knowledge, is one of the oldest uh, ethical codes in fundraising because it was originally created in 1964, this code of ethics. Uh, many other organizations and associations reference this uh, and base their own code of ethics on it. I know as a former member of the GPA code of ethics, the Grant Professional Association's code of ethics was originally based on this format uh, and the AFP code of ethics. Um, I'm a public school board member and there are public um, education foundations and there are fundraisers for those that have their own association and they tell people to follow the AFP code of ethics. Many, many professional associations in whatever niche area you're in within within nonprofits uh, when it comes to ethics goes back to this because it's not just talking about fundraising um, and the code of ethics which can be downloaded from uh, this here and it's for anybody you don't have to be a member to follow it um, uh, first is definitely and it's it's not stat so this has obviously been updated the last time the big last big update was actually uh, nine years ago uh, but they're in the process of updating uh, again Partly because there's so much has changed. Um, there are still things that are immediate that we try to reach out to, but technology has had such an important role in the work that we do, and that's changing so fast that we try to keep up with it. Um, and ethics is one way you need to do that. But there's a couple of key areas, whether it's public trust. Trust is such a big area when it comes to fundraising in general. Uh, you know, without trust, you know, your donors aren't going to necessarily give to you or give you the, what they potentially would. Uh, and you know, if you're a big fan of management books, you know, Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, trust is the big area. If you don't have trust, your team is super dysfunctional, uh, but you need trust, uh, you know, and we're in what happens when there's conflicts of interest, uh, solicitation and stewardship of funds, how to, how to do that in an ethical manner. Treatment of confidential and proprietary information. 
more and more, there's so much information we collect thanks to tools uh, such as Don's tools. But there's a lot of information we collect we don't necessarily need to collect. Uh, or there's information that we get that we're not sure where it comes from. That you, you know, things you need to think about where what you put into your CRM or your grants management system, your reporting system, whatever it is. Now, the GPA code of ethics or grant professional code of ethics uh, is, you know, this is similar. It's another document anybody's able to get. You can download it from the link I shared here. Um, it is also broken out into a couple of key areas, you know, professional obligations, uh, solicitation use of funds, presentation of the information that you're sharing or not sharing, uh, and compensation. So it's similar uh, in the similar categories, say, is uh, AFP. Some of the issues I know um, that it's covering, uh, you know, when you're writing grant proposals, um, there's some key di slight differences because they're specific to grants. You know, what happens when you're doing grant budgets versus an annual budget? Uh, what, you know, are you doing grant reports or what are you reporting to the donor? Um, and those come up in here as well. But they have come out, uh, GPA recently came out with a, a statement on artificial intelligence and actually large learning models. Uh, I think it's LLM uh, or LMM, I apologize. But um, yeah, it's, you know, so can you use AI if you use it in an ethical way? It's a great tool. It's not going to stop or, fit or end grant writing as a profession. Uh, you know, there's individuals still need to meet with individuals to discuss opportunities, to build relationships. Uh, computers are not going to do that for us. And it's only based on the model of what's going on. Um, you know, there's biases inherently in artificial intelligence, whoever creates the algorithms, whoever inputs the data sets that you're trying to review. But it actually can help you at the same time. I know there's artificial intelligence related tools that help you get over your own biases or you might be blind to. Um, for instance, there's one company that, that will help you review your, your donor list and help you identify people you should meet in a particular order because, I, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it unconsciously, but I, you know, when I meet with my donors or I meet with a volunteer, I need to, I might be more preferable to, I might try to reach out or set meetings with people I'm more comfortable with or people I know better uh, through my time at the organization. Uh, but I might not meet with some of those donors or some of the volunteers that I don't know as well, or I don't visit them as often as I probably could. Um, and so it helps you get over that because it's almost a reminder. It's great. It, you know, Artificial intelligence is also great when you're doing grants, if you get stuck, uh, it's a great for writing prompts. Uh, what body oversees ethical considerations for grant makers? Well, there's GDRP, uh, which is, it's the amount of information that you can collect or not collect. Uh, I, this is especially true if you have international donors, or if you're looking to, uh, whether it's foundations or individuals or companies, uh, that are, uh, in the EU or other countries that have these rules, regulations. Um, and so that's, that's where you need to consider it. And actually, I would I would guess if I was a betting man, I would guess in the next five years, the United States is likely going to have a similar law because there's so many states that are starting to add this. Uh, you know, how much information can you collect about somebody and how long, you, how you keep it and store it, those sorts of things. It's Yes, it's all publicly identifiable, but again, it's how much of it do you keep? And it really is impacting uh, prospect research. 
Uh, so that's going to be a big, big tr change coming up. Um, but again, it's if you have a code of ethics and you're following it, that's going to help uh, because you're not going to share information or store information that's erroneous. Or, you know, it's not it's not in the best interest of the donor per se, um, and you're going to put them ahead. Yeah, you know, you're looking at information from more than one point of view. Uh, when you're talking about fundraising and ethics, I mean, that depends. It's always the first answer is that depends because there's no straight answer for almost everything. Sometimes there is, but very seldom. It's always you need to look at different points of view. Um, you know, is it looking at the donor's point of view or the organization or you yourself uh, or the not or the staff member or the coworker's point of view? Uh, whose point of view is it? I mean, fundraising is really helping donors connect with their philanthropic interests. And fundraisers or people in fundraising are the ones that help connect them with it, whether it's your organization, hopefully. Uh, but if it's not the best interest for the donor to give to your organization, then you should be pointing them to wherever it is. Because again, you're trying to help that donor fulfill their philanthropic goals. Um, you know, does your own organization have policies in, in, in place? Uh, it could be a company, it can be an organization, it could be your own department. Uh, whether it's on grants and research, like we were talking about, you know, you might have something about these are, we're not going to do this. I mean, these are the certain things that we want to collect um, and other things we don't. Uh, but there's there's a couple of the policies uh, include that might that your organization might have uh, record retention policy, gift acceptance policies, um, acceptable use of technology policies, social media policies. Uh, so many people overshare on social media and they have no idea that they're doing it. Um, one example I used to always talk about was Mark Zuckerberg's sister. Uh, she, for a good while, was their director of marketing or chief marketing, sorry, I forget her exact title. But about a decade ago, or maybe it's been a little bit longer, she shared a photo that she thought she only shared with her family, but she actually made it public. It was a photo of the family standing around like a kitchen island around Hanukkah time. And said, had a comment about, you know, just basic, this is Hanukkah. Well, a reporter who was following her <clears throat> shared that information and put it out onto like Twitter uh, or X as it's now called. Um, and, you know, that information the reporter shared, is that, is that a picture that you want to keep in your donor record for that, for so you can see Mark Zuckerberg's family? Or, she didn't know she was doing that. So is that one you don't keep because she didn't know she was oversharing and didn't know the privacy policies and settings? Now, that also lends another point. I think it's ironic that the sister of the founder uh, didn't know how to use the tool. So even though she was in charge of marketing for the company. Um, but again, is, it sh is that information sharing, uh, is that put your organization in a bad light if you do save it and you do share it yourself? Um, you know, you have all these tools that are out there. There's so much that's out there more than any other time in the history of the world. And again, it's what you do with it. Now, a lot of the two may just be garbage. So you're collecting too much information that's not as necessary. And, you know, that can be another problem. You know, are you truthful in the words that you're sharing? You know, are you, um, um, doing things? I mean, a, are you being truthful? Is did you use it correctly? Does your budget show or demonstrate exactly how you spent the money? Are you rounding up or down too much? Are you doing it in such a way so it makes you look a little bit better? Uh, the images that you use, uh, are you portraying somebody in a good light? Or are you making them 
look a little sad, more sad than they probably are or more helpless. I mean, uh, my work at Achieva, it's a large disability nonprofit. So if I use a picture of somebody with a disability and it makes them look helpless, that's defeating the purpose of what I'm doing. They're supposed to, we're supposed to be empowering people with disabilities. And, you know, if you use somebody that looks downtrodden and sad, uh, that's not necessarily great. Um, yes, it, you know, pulls on the heartstrings sometimes, but at the same time, that what's in the best interest of the person in that picture and how does that relate back to your own organization? So you need to make sure you're doing things in an ethical way. You know, it would be easy to say all, you know, all my pictures are little puppies and are little kids because everybody loves puppies and kids or kittens. Um, but again, you know, is that really portraying what you're trying to get across? Uh, and it's okay to not know the answer. You know, sometimes you don't know. Um, and that's okay too. Uh, there's a question here I wanted to um, address to somebody asked bonuses compensation gives some good top logic uh, to explain why explain to management why it can't be tied to a percentage of funds raised. Uh, the biggest thing uh, for that really is the fact that if I am getting a bonus based on a percentage, I'm going to put myself first potentially. So it might not be in the donor's best interest to make a $10,000 gift to me uh, or for a specific project because I know I'm going to get a bonus. And that is putting my own interests ahead of the donors. Uh, and they might still give a $10,000 gift, but it might be for another project. They might give a $5,000 gift. You might, you know, not be, they might not be interested in that project at all. And so it's a, you know, it's an opportunity for them not to give to that necessarily, but maybe another project or at another time or even to another organization. But you're, again, you're putting yourself, you're putting the, the staff member ahead of the donor and ahead of the organization. We would say, oh, more money for the organization. That's great. That's not necessarily, you're getting money from somebody who didn't really want to do that necessarily. So you're kind of persuading them. We have that opportunity or that ability sometimes to persuade people to give for things they didn't necessarily want to give. And that's not ethical. And that's, that's a big area for that. Um, as a sole practitioner, can you work for multiple organizations? This is a big question. Um, and yes, it, it, it can. And it kind of gets funny sometimes because some, you know, you work with a consultant and they're working with multiple organizations, but they're all asking the same funder for the same thing, right? Uh, and you can do it as a consultant. You know, are you competing? Depends on what you're doing. Are you competing against your own organization or are you competing against others? And those are things you need to talk through. Um, you know, it may be that you want to avoid any appearance of it and that's okay. Or it's, you walk that really st straight line that don't veer off of it. And that's, you want to make sure that's the case as well. Nobody accuses you of doing something that you don't necessarily want to do. Uh, all right. So let's go on to the next one. So what happens, uh, when you, what happens, uh, when these situations come up, come up, you can speak with a peer. Uh, yeah, whether it's somebody that's more senior, somebody that's not involved and they have a, they don't necessarily have, you know, the, you know, some of the knowledge, you know, they can hear it from both sides, uh, as you like, they have a blank slate basically to help you with that. Uh, you may post anonymously on professional association tools, such as bulletin boards. I know AFP and grant and GPA both have that option. Um, and you can get feedback from others. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes people don't know what they're talking about. So you're, yeah, that's the same as just posting to the Facebook page, asking that if you do it anonymously, 
you know, you don't, you got to remember they're they might be members or they might be people that are interested in being members, but they don't know necessarily. Uh, so you have to think about what interest that's there. You could reach out directly to an executive director of the association, whatever association it is, and you don't have to be a member of that association to ask. Um, and whether it's a specific niche type group, people that are targeting more like just healthcare, like AHP or grants, like GPA, uh, or if you're looking at like more general, you know, broader, like AFP is all types of fundraising. Um, and you know, you can reach out to executive director. They'll, they'll either get back to you with information because they're typically the ones charged with that as part of their role, but I'll, or they'll, they'll run it by often, which is what they do. They run it by their ethics committee, uh, and they'll provide feedback for you. Uh, and again, it's important to do it. And if you have a complaint, you know, somebody's doing something wrong that you found out about, again, you, you don't have to be a member to do it. I've had a donor reach out at, you know, when I talk about GPA, we, you know, somebody, a donor reached out to the executive director with, with their data question, are they doing this correct or not? Um, and yeah, that's important to know. Uh, it's, you know, it's, um, it's out there, you know, there's, you know, there's also training coming to stuff like this, uh, whether it's you or you're, you're bringing your executive director or you share this with them after the fact. Um, but as more people start to understand some of the different variables that go on with ethics, it's, it's definitely a way to help. So next, I wanted to share another group uh, that actually can be helpful because I think this decision-making framework is a way to also help if something comes up that's an ethical question that you have. There's eight simple steps. Uh, is it First, is it legal? Again, I talked about just because it's legal doesn't mean it's ethical. Uh, or is it compliant with one of the association code of ethics? Is it, is it obvious? If it is, then it tells you what to do. Um, Decide on the overall normative ethical theory. And this is basically thinking about, uh, you know, virtual ethics, you know, is it about your character and values or uh, the ontology, which is really about looking at the um, morals that you have or consequentialism, which is the consequences of what, what happens at the end if you make a decision and the consequences, you know, the ends justify the means sort of thing. Uh, and so you need to... That's another step you go through. And then you think about all the different things you need to consider. Uh, you weigh the factors and compare you compare and contrast, you know, pros and cons, potentially, if you think of it that way. Uh, you can make a decision. And then if you do make that decision, you know, evaluate and test it for the effects it has on you, your organization, the donor, the, the community as a whole, potentially. Um, but also go back to previous steps if you need to very easily. And once you finally get to a point, you feel like you can go ahead, go ahead and do it. Uh, Regari is a great research tool that I don't think enough people utilize. Um, and I think that's great. Um, okay. Got a couple more questions. Act to the best interest of the donor. Do you mean the beneficiary recipients of the funds or the funder? It's actually the person that's giving the funds. Um, although yes, you want to also work in the interest of the, if you're supporting people, the people that are in your programs. But if you're getting money to support those people in the programs in an unethical manner, are you really helping them correctly? Um, that's that's an issue. Uh, paying the director's family members or staff members to do work out of money received from grants. Uh, is it ethical in certain circumstances? Uh, I think it kind of depends. I mean, uh, on most 990s, if you ever read a nonprofit's 990s, which is in the U.S. tax return, 
you look at it and um, it, you, if there are conflicts of interest, that actually is addressed uh, in a couple of things, not specifically, can I pay a staff member that's actually my sibling? That's an issue. Uh, yes, there are certainly charities that start with like a small family or small group uh, and it kind of builds out. Sometimes by chance you get into second generations as well, or even third generation. We're definitely on my own organization at Achieva has multiple second generation board members, meaning that the parents were board members and now they're, they're not necessarily board members. Now they're children, adult children are. We've had actually a mother and a, a daughter. We have an uncle and a an, an niece sort of thing. And so that's, but that's on a volunteer basis. It's not on staff. Uh, but yeah, and it, it can be an issue sometimes. Uh, it, it really depends on the funder and how uh, transparent you are about it. Uh, is there, you know, do you have a bunch of staff that are all related? Uh, you know, that's a thing. Sometimes you have staff members that meet each other and get married. That's a different thing as well. So you have spouses working together. How do you structure a bonus plan differently to increase fundraising, but not the percentage of fundraising? Well, you make it based on, um, is somebody doing a good job? And is it a standard set uh, bonus situation? I realize there aren't, you know, fundraisers typically are a smaller pool of the number of overall staff members in most organizations. Um, uh, but yeah, you, it, it's, again, it's just really making it, is there a pool of money that's been raised and then the board members give a $10,000 pool and then they split it up, uh, or, you know, are there doing it in such a way that still keeps the, the donor, uh, in it. So, um, DEI affected, uh, ethics and fundraising. How do we help organizations stand these changes? Uh, yeah, DEI has definitely changed the needle for some funders. Uh, they're looking more towards it. DEI includes disabilities, which I'm certainly an advocate for. Uh, and, and so people like Darren Walker, have really, who's the head of the Ford Foundation, has really looked at, are we funding programs to support people with disabilities? And they, they, it's, it's not. There's a lot of foundations don't and don't realize it because uh, it's being excluded. Not intentionally, just it is. Um, and so there's groups like that looking at it. Uh, how do we express ethical in a professional manner to foundations and funders who might be slow to adapt changes? Uh, sometimes it's a matter, it's really just a matter of working with the program staff or if they don't have staff working with like the key contact that might be a board member. Um, you know, and again, it goes back into gift acceptance policy. Your organization says we follow people that do ethical things and you think this donor is not doing an ethical thing. Maybe it's you refuse a grant if you get a grant or you don't go towards them anymore uh, until they do come into line with what your own organization's ethics are. And that can help you. Um, if you plan to submit uh, grant applications to multiple funders and I'm funded by more than one funder, um, well, first, you don't want to take one proposal and submit it to everybody. Uh, that's not actually good. It's not a best practice. You want to make sure that you're customizing proposals now, granted, a lot of people are doing uh, like a uniform proposal application, which is great, makes life easier for everybody. Uh, but when you're doing it and you're funding it for more, if you get more funding than you have, then, then you need, then you got to return some funds, uh, whether it's you prorate it out uh, or that you ask them, hey, can we got more than we needed? Can we have an extra few months of our project to fund if it's, you know, if it's general operating, can can we keep it and just fund three more months of our general operating uh, so that you don't have to return it? Sometimes foundations are great with that. Sometimes they want it back. Um, and um, 
But if you have, yeah, there are, there's more than likely going to be times where you have multiple funders for the same program uh, because the program might be big enough, you need multiple people. So, and let me see. Uh, and next, I was just going to ask, you know, uh, the number one question, uh, drum roll, da, 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 da. Um, drum roll is actually, it's compensation. And can I pay somebody a percentage of what they raise? That that 100% is the number one question asked a lot. And if you are a member of GPA or AFP and you look at some of the ethics questions that have been asked in the bulletin boards, they'll show up in there a lot. Uh, it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that many board members, well-meaning, um, just assume, okay, fundraising is a type of sales. So a, a typical sales uh, compensation model is to do... Um, do, do a commission-based uh, fundraising or commission-based sales. And that I understand that and it makes sense. But again, you're not putting your 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 daughter at the forefront. You're putting yourself uh, at the forefront of the of the fundraising equation. Uh, and because of that, you can try to persuade donors to get more than they could possibly t- truly afford. Uh, you get them to commit to things they don't want to do. Um, and you do, you're doing it whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, um, because you know, at some point you're going to get extra money out of it because you got this, that one, it's either your pay. So it's paying your, you know, your annual salary and it's not a true salary because it's commission based. Um, but also because you want more money. If you, I mean, everybody would love to earn more money because most people in our profits are underpaid. I get it. That's, that's always going to be the case. But you don't necessarily want to do it. And you have to explain this to your board. I've actually discussed this with a board member. I had a pretty lengthy conversation with him. He was a bright guy. He was a CFO. Uh, as a former board member, he was a CFO of a big for-profit organization. And it made sense for sales. If you have a salesperson, you give them commission. I get it. You might get a, a set salary and then commission on top of it or 100% commission. Um, but you have to explain uh, why, you know, if you ask that board member, okay, if you knew, like, if you gave me a thousand dollars, if you knew 15% of that was going, I get 150. So organizations only getting $850 towards the program. Is that okay or not? Yes. There's always administrative overhead, but if it's going to a specific person, because I am the one that asked the question, can you make a gift? That's an issue. Uh, and that's, you know, how does that donor feel? Many donors don't like that, that idea, you know, just like many donors don't like the fact of overhead uh, or the cost of making donations online because there's always a credit card fee um, and how that gets passed on or it doesn't get passed on. But again, this is the number one question and it's a really big thing. Are there other questions? Did anybody have any other questions? We have a mo- like a minute or two for some more. Sexual harassment. Ooh, that's a big one. Um, and... Okay, so in AFP specifically, there have been a, there's been a lot stated about this. Uh, I you know they did a report or a study. Uh, I think it was University of Illinois uh, worked on it with AFP. I forget the exact school, uh, but they found that like three fourths of all fundraisers have been sexually harassed by a donor, or within the organization. I have been sexually harassed by some a donor, uh, and it's awful. And there is a donor bill of rights. But there's also work on a fundraiser bill of rights as well that AFP has been working on. I know the AFP chapter in Chicago had created one a while back uh, and AFP is looking at trying to update that to make it more global. 
Um, and it's, it's a big issue and it's especially true. I'm not a woman, obviously, if you didn't notice, um, but, and I'm a big guy. If I were to stand up, you, you might be surprised how tall I am. You can't tell by the box, but I'm actually, I'm six, two and you know, big burly guy, but even me, you know, you think of a dainty young woman, especially the younger fu- staff. I actually talked to my staff about this, um, because especially my younger staff that are just in their early twenties that are starting to do this as a first job, you know, it's not okay. And we, you know, you need to make sure your, your bosses have your back. When it happened to me, I talked to my boss about it. Um, it was, uh, you know, it, some donors have a real big, um, they think because they, they're giving money, it's okay that they can behave badly. And that's obviously not the case. What about to do compensation with bonus? What you can do, uh, Make sure that there's actually a policy in place about how to get bonuses out. Uh, that's important. I mean, I don't think if there was one, it would avoid a lot of issues. Um, and you need to make sure it's board approved. It's not just, hey, you know, our staff said this is what we're going to follow. I mean, that's great, especially from an HR perspective. You have an HR committee maybe uh, for your company or organization, but you want to make sure the board has buy-in. Um, and so that's important. Um, and... Yeah, and just so people understand it, uh, it's a really important thing. And actually, the one thing I didn't talk about, I've had people reach out to me before about ethics because something was not ethical going on in their job. And you should not be in a job if the, you can't change the unethical things going on. There are times when your CEO or board members force it because of their position, they're able to force it. And just because it's legal, again, doesn't necessarily mean it's ethical. Then you should really consider changing jobs. So, and that's hard to do. I get that. Um, but yeah, you should definitely avoid situations. If you can't get out of it, that's okay too. But you, you really should look to elsewhere.